someone bumped me and I dropped the Beatles. Uh, down go and, the Beatles. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I mean, they, you could call me Yoko Ono because I took down the Beatles. And The show where two not-so-interesting guys ask interesting people one question and then interrupt them as they try to answer it. Joining us today is Tommy Marquez. Tommy played lacrosse for Santa Clara University, where he graduated in 2008. In 2011, he started working for CrossFit as an associate producer. Eventually, Tommy worked his way in front of the camera and worked as a producer and on-camera talent for CrossFit for over five years. In 2018, he moved on from the company to create content as a freelancer. Earlier this year, Tommy raised over $30,000 for Color of Change and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund through his company, X Injustice. Today, he is a staff writer for The Morning Chalk Up and the co-host of the podcast, Talking Elite Fitness. Tommy, welcome to the show, and how the fuck did you get that job? <laughs> well, uh, first off, thank you guys for having me. That may have been the, the coolest sounding, nicest intro that I've ever personally gotten. So um, I'll certainly appreciate you for pumping my tires a little bit. But... <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, you listen up. You guys did your research, man. You got, you got, you got pretty much the the scope for the most part outside of a outside of one career path that I was there on for a little bit. But that was that was legit, guys. Thank you, thank you. Take so look, I'm, I'm interested to see where, where we missed, but take mm -hmm. us back all the way to the beginning. What made Santa Clara the right fit for you? Because that's kind of usually the biggest decision people make when they're like first technically an adult. Sure. So uh, coming out of high school, I had a few options to most of which centered around sports. So I knew I wanted to play sports in college. Um, I had the option to go to a couple smaller schools, some D2, D3, maybe a D1 AA school and play basketball. I had a standing walk-on offer at the University of San Diego to go play football. I had a, a couple minor scholarship offers from D2 and D3 schools to play football as well. And a couple walk-on offers from other D1 AA schools that, um, that the coaches had just reached out and been like, hey, we, we found you late in the recruiting process. You have a spot on the team, but you'd have to earn your way like to, to get some money for it. I was also contemplating maybe running track, doing running hurdles in college too. Um, I always kind of prided myself. So, in so, so you, you were an athlete. Like, yeah. we, we could say that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it, it, that's just kind of how my family operates. You know, my dad, like, growing up, my dad did everything with us. Uh, I, I have a younger brother that's nine years younger than me. So I kind of passed that on. So like, whereas my dad was teaching me sports and playing, you know, right along with me, I did that same thing with my brother. So it was very much a, a big part of the culture of our family. And um, I, my dad always wanted us to play a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. whether it was soccer, I wrestled a little bit, you know, baseball, all of those things. And then he wanted to give us the option to play everything and then decide what our paths were. And so I, I took on those three sports by the time I got to high school. And I think, you know, playing multiple sports, being a multi-sport athlete generally helps your athleticism, your overall like physical prowess. So it provided me some potential options to play. And I think my dad's not very naturally athletic. I mean, he could, I mean, he's five, five, eight, five, nine. He can almost grab the rim up until he was like 40. So, you know, he's like, you know, I, I guess I, not all of it's my doing. So, but yeah, so Santa Clara was, was an hour or so away and they gave me a, a 25% academic scholarship. And I had some other scholarships lined up for there too. And I had a couple other friends that were going to that school as well. And it seemed like a good fit because I wanted to try and walk on and play basketball at a bigger school. And I, I thought I did at least. So Santa Clara seemed like a good fit because it was division one. It was a decent sized school. I went to a, an all boys Catholic, uh, Christian Brothers Catholic high school, which I absolutely loved. It was really small in a farm town. It wasn't very big. And I, I just liked the, that, that intimacy of the school setting there and like knowing everybody in my class and being really like close uh, connection wise with just for most people in my class. And so Santa Clara seemed to fit that bill uh, more than anything else. And I actually decided to go to school without having visited it. I'd seen it. I knew where it was. I, we played sports all around it because we'd go up to San Jose, which is an hour away from where I, I grew up and we would know the area. So I, I, it was a great education 
You know, um, they're one of the best business schools in the country. They also had a really good sciences program and I wanted to go into sciences. So it just seemed like a decent fit. And I cried a little bit when I, when I signed on to go there because I knew it was expensive and we'd have to, I'd have to take out some loans and my parents would have to take some loans too. But it was definitely worth it because the connections I created there were phenomenal. And so you get in and you're studying psychology. What, did, did you have an idea of like, okay, I'm going to study psychology. And then like, the, the, did you have the building blocks set up or was it really just, I kind of want to get into sciences and this is the one I'm most interested in? Well, I originally, I originally was pre-med. So freshman year, I was the combined sciences major and I wanted to maybe go to medical school. And I kind of had this moment, first off, when I decided that ultimately playing basketball wasn't for me. Um, I, I, I felt like I was good enough, but I didn't, I didn't feel dedicated enough to like put in the work to be a recruited, like to be a recruited walk on again. And so I just like, I decided that path was gone. I was going to go pre-med. I was very much enjoying being a freshman in college, uh, from a lifestyle perspective. And about the spring of my freshman year, I was in a biology class and it's funny, this is like as clear as day to me. I was sitting in class and we're literally counting little beetles, like these beetles in a Petri dish. And my professor, her life's work was studying these beetles. And as I turned to, to take a, a, a little Petri dish of beetles to the next bench, someone bumped me and I dropped the beetles. Uh, down go and, the beetles. <laughs> oh, exactly. And I mean, they, you could call me Yoko Ono because I took down the Beatles and it, I, I got chewed, chewed out so bad by the teacher, like kicked me out of class for the day, chewed me out. And it was just one of those moments like, I'm not enjoying this. This is not, I'm not having fun. If this is the environment I looked around and I wasn't really enjoying the environment that I was in, I was like, this just, it's not for me. And I, I used a lot of the science classes that I took that year as my prereqs. And over the summer I took a, I took a, a psych class that I really, really enjoyed and kind of a light, light bulb went off for me. Uh, my, my entire family has had a history with mental health stuff that we've done. Um, a lot of my, uh, I come from a fairly heavy military background family. So a lot of my cousins and people were dealing with like ramifications of PTSD and all these other things. And I generally had a good sense of just talking to people. I liked engaging in conversation and talking with people and kind of digging into conversation and that. And those seem to be kind of some solid building blocks for the for the, for that avenue. So I just decided I want to switch my major, switch to psych full time, focused on clinical psychology in particular, um, did, did a minor in communications with a focus on interpersonal communication. And along the way, discovered lacrosse. I never played lacrosse before, before college. I was running out at the field and lacrosse coach was like, yo, you're, you're I'm 6'3", I'm like about 200 pounds. He's like, you're a decently big guy and you run really well, come play lacrosse. So it was like kind of like this serendipitous thing. I was switching my major and finding what I wanted to do. I found a sport that I didn't know I loved, but I really did. And then that kind of painted my college career the rest of the way and was able to play lacrosse all four years and then get a degree in a field that I really enjoyed and um, was very different than all my other friends, but it, I felt like it was much more true to who I was. That, that's a hell of a pivot. And it is kind of cool looking back at college too, where it's like, it's so easy just to be like, okay, like if I wanted to, for, if I want to stop working in sports and work in medicine, it's a, it's a hard pivot. But for somebody in college, like, you know, you just go to your officer and uh, change that and everything's okay. But uh, talking about lacrosse real quick, like, what's it like, like picking up a sport and learning the rules of something that I, I don't know you said you didn't really have a background in it like did you know how goals were scored even or I, I, I honestly I didn't really have I had maybe seen it on ESPN once or twice but mm -hmm. had no idea other than like someone was like hey it's kind of like hockey but on the field but on a field I talked to one of my buddies uh who kind of convinced me to go out for good and he was like he played it in high school and he was in my dorm and he was like it's really big on the east coast a lot of football players uh, play it. it the defense is very much like basketball and there's a lot of running and I was like well I played football I played basketball and I ran track so this seems kind of like a good physical sport for me to do also I put on the freshman 35 so I, uh, I put on 35 pounds in like my first 10 weeks at school so I kind of needed to curtail the, uh, the eating and drinking a little bit but it was uh, I love the art of discovery especially when it comes to sports I like picking up something new 
and trying to like master the fundamentals of it and then seeing how quickly I can get good at it and how quickly I can become competitive. I'm like extremely competitive by nature, like almost to a fault sometimes. And so that in that early, early time of like learning a sport, I'm not competitive. So that kind of stokes the flames a little bit more. And so I'm like, I want to learn this. I want to figure it out. I want to prove you wrong. Cause lacrosse is a sport that kids on the East coast grow up with, with a stick in their hand from like the time they're six. And so I want to be able to compete with those guys and have them be like, well, you shouldn't be able to do that. Almost kind of like proving some people wrong a little bit. So I, I loved it. And I had a very supportive group of people around me that were willing to help me learn the sport and were patient with me during the, the first year or so when I was picking it up. And then they really helped me thrive in a, in a position that, I, that made me successful and was allowed, allowed me to be successful in the sport very quickly. So it was very much like having a good coach uh, in the CrossFit space. For sure. No, that, that's awesome. And I want to, I want to speed it up too to like 2008 when you're rocking across that stage, getting that diploma, you know, a lot of people that's, that's a defining moment of their life. Where, where's your head at, uh, at that time? You know, it's, it was interesting because a lot of my only a hand, a couple of people in my, in my family had graduated from college prior to that. And so I felt very proud that I was able to accomplish that and share it with some family. Like I had some, my grandpa and a couple of uh, family that didn't really get to ever witness someone from our family graduating from college, much less like a private university in a good place in California. And so more so than like focusing on like what's next for me, I was, as I was walking across the stage in particular, I remember really trying to like soak in the moment of this is as much an accomplishment for my family than it is for me because they put me in this position to be successful. And obviously I wouldn't be able to do that without like the support of my parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all of those people that really kind of molded me along the way. So that was the big focus, at least as I'm walking across the stage. And I wasn't particularly rushed to find a job out of college. I saw all of my buddies and everyone else that was in the business area, the tech sector, um, all rushing to get internships and find their job and live in Silicon Valley because it is expensive and you kind of have to like jump right in and there's like this rat race. I just, that's not how I operate and that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I had a, a standing uh, job that I'd done every summer since I grew up, you know, help my best friend and their family on their farm and um, it paid well and, you know, it was a good opportunity to work and, and, kind of ease into my career field and look for what an option that best suited me. And fortunately enough, honestly, like I graduated in June, I worked for the summer and then by October, November, I had a job offer from a foster and adoption care agency that had a, a mental health services clinic, which was like right up what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve the community that, that I grew up in, which is predominantly Hispanic and white, but in the farm space with the Hispanic population being lower socioeconomic status. And then I wanted to provide some sort of service to the, the mental health community, which is largely a group that, that struggles to be able to help itself. So as someone that was, you know, looks like some of the members of my community, that's what I want to do. And I, I was very fortunate to get a job pretty quickly early on. And that was what I kind of set my sights on earlier. And ultimately that's long story short, that's what led me to CrossFit. So yeah, that was going to be my next question. So when did CrossFit fit in? Like when, when did, when did you first like go to a class and how'd you get first get exposed to it? Ultimately I, I was seeking out CrossFit and fit and other areas of fitness in general, because I, I needed my own personal therapy from the job. So uh, working in mental health services, uh, being a part of a foster and adoption care agency. So what that entails is kids and families come through the system, our system as a nonprofit and then as a, an amenity to them, we have the full mental health services clinics. So marriage and family therapists, licensed clinical social workers, clinical psychologists, clinical psychiatrists, that, that, the whole spectrum. And I was working as basically an extension of therapy uh, with the practitioners for our kids in the field. You know, instead of having you know, a therapist necessarily go out in the field or them always come into the office, they would send me out as an extension to help work with them uh, wherever they were troubled. And if you know, if you're working with, you know, lower income, lower SES families, you can imagine that those, those situations are very difficult. And I'm obviously, and I'm down in the trenches with them. And it was very tough. You know, I would say I got my heart broken every week. And so it was tough to do that with kids every single week. And I commend everyone, anyone who can do that, but I needed my own break from it. And my best friend, 
who I also worked for on that farm, he happened to live across the highway from the ranch in Aromas, which is where the CrossFit Games got started. It's one of, you know, the considered kind of the mini meccas of CrossFit. And his cousin went to high school with the Castros and goes, hey, there's these two crazy Mexican guys working out out of this ranch and this barn in, across the highway in Aromas. He goes, my cousin lost 100 pounds doing it because his cousin was, you know, obese and got the talk from his doctor. And he's like, we got to try this. And so I think it was around Christmas break, maybe, maybe shortly after. So it's, it's 2008, 2000, beginning of 2009. Uh, I can only imagine a doc, like that doctor's visit being like, and we're going to prescribe you the, this and we're going to prescribe you a dose of CrossFit for the next six months. Like it was <laughs> and it wasn't even that nice. It was... <laughs> You, you need to lose 100 pounds. It was like, it was harsh too. It was like, you need to lose 100 pounds or you will not see your kids grow old. It was like that type of ultimatum. And he, he you know, credit to him, he put in the work and he lost a bunch of weight and he got, he got kind of his health back on track. And so when I saw him, I was like, okay, I, whatever you're doing is working. We got to go try this. My friend was finishing up his final semester at school because he, he took a victory lap at, at college. And we went over to the ranch and did it once. And he had done it like the week prior. And I remember doing my first workout. I'll never, we ran the hill in Aromas, which is like this inf the infamous hill. We did 10 rounds of five push press, five burpee box jumps. And we cashed out with a 750 row. I was so tired. I fell off the rower with my feet clipped in still. And I just looked up. I was like, what the hell was that? And they're like, that was CrossFit. And I was like, I'm in. They're like, I'll be back tomorrow. And I never left. Every day after work, I would go and train. Um, eventually, I got my level one. Dave Castro, who's the director of sport for CrossFit, his brother wanted me to go get my level one so I could help coach classes what? after. What was for, that? So I'm sorry. For somebody who, like, I, I know Jake's a big CrossFit guy. And if mm -hmm. you can't tell, I'm not, I'm not the biggest CrossFit guy. But maybe one day. But what's level one? So the level one is the first certification that allows you to be a trainer. So it is basically the first step. It's the first certification rung for you to be a trainer and be able to coach others in a CrossFit gym. So it's also what's required. If you want to open a CrossFit gym, you have to be a level one trainer. The coaches in order to call it CrossFit have to have their level one certification. So they needed extra help at the gym and they wanted me to go get it because I was pretty passionate about it. And I fell in love with it almost immediately. And again, it kind of touched on that competitiveness that I have along with that internal push to just find something new and that sort of discovery where I want to like learn something and get better at it. And so the gym sent me to go get my level one. I got, I became a trainer. I started helping out at the gym and right around 2010, I started to get burnt out a little bit at work. There was kind of this shift going on between some of the new school therapists and some of the old school therapists and what was going to be best practices. And there was a lot of like, political BS going on behind the scenes. I needed to step away from this for a little while. And a few things happened that may really push me in that direction. I was like, you know what, I'm going to take some time and focus on CrossFit for a little bit. I want to keep training people. This is kind of another way of me providing therapy for people um, in a physical sense. And I, around that same time, I spoke with the, the other owners of the gym and I was like, hey, I think we should open up a location in my hometown because there weren't any gyms there yet. And it's a town of, you know, quarter million to 300,000 people. And so we decided to open a gym together and we, we started running that. And I basically made that pivot to coaching and operating a gym, a CrossFit gym. And we did that starting in 2010. And after about a year, I had spent some time because I would train at the ranch and that's kind of a mecca of CrossFit. I got to meet people that worked for CrossFit HQ and train with them from time to time. And eventually, I, I don't know how it came up, but I guess my name kept coming up because I would just kind of shoot the breeze and talk shop with them about the sports side of it. Because I'm a, I'm a sports fanatic and I nerd out on that stuff. And they're like, hey, you know, this guy kind of knows the sport and kind of knows the people and a little bit of what he's talking about with the sport. So the media team was starting to be, get built at that time and they're sending media teams to go out and cover the different regional competitions, but all the camera guys and people and stuff like that didn't know what CrossFit was. So they needed someone to dictate what CrossFit was to the camera guys and to the producer and the direct camera director so they could cover it properly. So they're like, this is a good fit for this guy. I think he can do well. And it's basically an associate producer production type assistant role. And so they called me in 2011, in March of 2011, a week before the competition started and asked me if I wanted to, to work for them. And I said, sure. And then two days later, I was on a plane flight to Jacksonville, Florida, and 
I was on the road for six weeks straight and I, you know, spoke with business partners and they're like, yeah, go do it. You have an opportunity to work for HQ. We'll get the gym classes covered and everything and uh, got it taken care of. And basically I, that is how I got my job in CrossFit ultimately is they gave me a, a, a opportunity to do some temporary work for those regional competitions. And then every stage of competition that came along that next calendar year, they'd ask me if I could help them out. And I just kept saying yes. And my role evolved. One time I was coordinating media volunteers. One time I was carrying equipment. One time I was just setting up stuff, setting up studio equipment and tearing it down. Other times I was dictating content and pitching story ideas. And then eventually a year later in summer 2012, they asked me to come on full-time as a full-time production assistant, um, kind of lending a hand to everything. And that was really how I got my start working at CrossFit HQ, um, just kind of like saying yes and just kind of rolling with the punches with whatever they wanted me to do. That's crazy. And yeah, I guess for David and like for anyone else listening, like it's wild that your first workouts were at the ranch. Like that's, it's kind of like if you were like learning basketball from like Stefan Marber at Rucker Park in the nineties, like, yeah, like hundred percent. It's, it's like hallow good. It's like, it's like deep place. It's like hallow ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of imagining like Miyagi though, like kind of like, yeah. like whoever created karate and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, type stuff like that. When you started creating content, and like, I think it's, it's interesting because it's right at a time too where digital media is now giving athletes the chance to tell their story. And that was kind of just happening as you were coming on with CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking big picture, like those forces of being like, okay, this could really be something because CrossFit is such like, end of, like there, there's opportunity for individuals to build brands here and now they have the tools to do it? Or were you just like, this is awesome. I love the sport. I want to, I want to keep growing it. it. It was a little bit of both, honestly. In the early years, so like 2012 to 2014, I was really focused on how can I be a best of service and how can I increase my role to, to provide more value to HQ? That was my primary focus. So, you know, whether I was managing the studio for a little while, because the, the media team wasn't that organized at that time it was still kind of the wild west as far as like, oh, you got a job at HQ, cool. You get to carve out your own path, pretty much. If you can prove you can do this, if you can prove you can do that, hey, good. Once you're in the door, like you, you kind of had some, uh, a blank block of marble to start to carve some stuff out. So without a traditional background in media, I was very focused on trying to figure out how I could do that. And, and I wasn't great at it at first and I'm trying to figure out what I could do, but I knew that I knew the sport really well I have an affinity for numbers and things like that around sports because that kind of goes into my competitiveness and how I learn things and how I pick up is trying to become an expert at something. And so around 2013, uh, a producer got brought on full time by the name of Charlie Doobie. And I credit, I credit him and, you know, my, my now business partner, Sean Woodland, and a few of those people that were my predecessors that were in kind of more senior level roles as far as the production of media for really, really going to bat for me and being like, this guy knows what he's talking about. And we need to nurture that and we need to try and give him an opportunity to be successful. So they're the ones that put me on camera. They're the ones that allowed me to pitch story ideas for the broadcast coverage. So if you imagine, you know, you have like your NFL game day show, you have your, you know, halftime show for the NBA, whatever it may be. You know, I was a production assistant, but the producers of that show were turning to me and being like, Hey, you got any ideas? You got any ideas for good content? You got any, got any stats or anything like that? That would be good. And over time, since I would nerd out and I would collect these stuff anyways, them and the people that were on camera, Pat Sherwood, Roy McKernan, uh, Miranda Oldroyd at the time, a bunch of those people started coming to me for stats. They're like, hey, you got these, these awesome stats. You got these awesome predictions, you know, in our production meetings, pass them over. Like, I'll say it, you know, if you, if you got a good stat, I'll use it. And so I started pitching content for that, which is, you know, pretty normal in some of the, in some of the production realms, but you don't always get that opportunity if you're essentially an intern. And so I got that opportunity. And then eventually as we started to grow and the media team started putting out a wider array of content, our producer was like, listen, you do a great job pitching this stuff in our meetings. You've been a gym owner. You've been a trainer. Everyone here in HQ knows that you know what you're talking about. Why don't you do it on camera? And we can build you as a personality and an expert of the sport because you are behind the scenes. And so they gave me that shot and, they allowed me to go through the growing pains of learning how to be on camera and how to talk to people on camera and present material in a concise way. And 
that's kind of where my role as a media personality took off. And that was, that was end of 2014 going into the 2015 season. And then that was kind of my role after that. I was, you know, one of our anchors, I was one of our analysts. I was one of our on-camera personalities. I was our go-to stats guy. I was the guy that was making the predictions and all that stuff. And that was my role up until 2018 when everyone got laid off on the media team. (laughs) And for like, you know, shouting out prior guest, actually RJ Kaminsky, but he's the head of social for uh, PLL. He's just amazing on camera. Like, what what did that jump look like for you? Was it for him at least? It was really just like ten thousand hour rule, just getting reps and and being get and then eventually like mastering it. But uh, what what did that look like for you? Some of it was some of it was that ten thousand hour rule of just getting the reps in and and getting comfortable up up there and can uh, on camera because if you're not used to it, suddenly you're thrown into the on the desk or in this environment. And it's like, you've got these bright lights, just like, sh- like hammering down on you. And you're like sweaty in this dress shirt. And you're kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do. But the, a couple of the things that really helped me was I just enjoy talking to people. And our show was very conversational in some of those elements. So the guidance from the other people that were on camera, my, you know, my buddy, Sean and Pat and all those people I just mentioned, were like, hey man, just, just have a conversation with us. Treat the camera treat the camera like the third person in a conversation or the fourth person in the conversation. You're talking to us and occasionally you'll, you'll wrap them into the conversation by addressing them directly or looking at them directly. But other than that, just focus on talking to us and talking to them is what I could do in my sleep because we do it every day. And that was really kind of a light bulb moment for me and allowed me to, to get a little bit more comfortable in that regard. And then over time, as I got reps and practice, whether it was, at home in front of a mirror when I'm just, if I wanted to host a show by myself or host a segment by myself, that element was, was putting the reps in and putting the time in. But um, I generally felt okay talking to people and it was just, you know, a couple of nuances here or there that I had to pick up and, and figure out because, you know, being in therapy, you're, you're talking to people about very difficult, stressful, uncomfortable things. So being in that position of being uncomfortable and having a conversation and diving into stuff, I think kind of helped me a little bit once I got on camera and I was personally uncomfortable and I'm like, all right, I have to be able to formulate thoughts and be able to provide guidance here. That's a really cool crossover. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it a little bit, but to give our listeners some context uh, in 2018 CrossFit kind of has this seismic shift uh, in their personnel really out of nowhere, very abrupt like take us through take us through what you were going through honestly i to shout out our past guest kind of seems like it'd be similar to kenny bell who was a nebraska legend wider mm-hmm. stever was playing in the aaf and he he told us the story of like when he found out the aaf was shutting down he was in a receivers meeting and like told their coach like hey coach we, we should leave like we're done was it something like that where like you you had to find out through social media or what was it like for you so we had heard some rumors that And I was actually a little bit, I was kept a little bit more in the dark than some of my coworkers that there were going to be some changes to the season going forward. That didn't necessarily dictate anything for us media wise, because we got done with 2018. We are on CBS. I was at a desk alongside Roy McKernan and CBS's, the main anchor for CBS's college basketball and college football programs now, Brent Stover. And we had a great show. We were on CBS live for a couple hours. And then we were on CBS Sports Network all weekend long doing hits. And CBS wanted more content from us. They were like, give us whatever you've got. We'll take full season coverage. Like, let's do this. We're accelerating this. And so all signs for us from the media standpoint, we're like, we're crushing it right now. This is what we have been wanting to do for six, seven years. And we're finally doing it. So this is great. And then right after the 2018 games, there was a small layoff of some people that kind of was like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? Included some friends and unfortunately included my younger brother who also worked for the company. So out of nowhere, my younger brother who was, you know, a production assistant and was, you know, trying to work his way up to editing and doing some media stuff. Suddenly I had to like walk him out of the, the office. And that kind of like, was a huge paradigm shift for everyone because the way that it was done and the way that it was handled was completely polar opposite to any, to the spirit and, and kind of heart of the company for the last decade. 
And it was like, something's different here now. Like, I don't understand why. And people at the top were still giving us lip service. Like, you guys are all right. Nothing's changing. You guys, you guys are you're safe. In a, in a meeting with the executives, they straight up told us we were safe. They were like, you know, my, my, my business partner, for his credit, raised his hand. is like, listen, we're adults. If we need to start brushing up our resume, tell us. Um, just don't drag us on. Because this, this seems out of character for the company. And they're like, nope, you guys are fine. We just had to do a little bit of a trim. And we're going to be pushing forward. Even though that quelled a little bit of the, the uneasiness, there was this weird like feeling around the office, like a couple of drops of poison had gone into the well and it was slowly seeping outwards. And we're each day, it didn't feel like the same vibe and the same atmosphere and the same chippiness and happiness and stuff that we had around the office. And the, some of the joy was getting sapped out of going to work and it was hard to put a finger on. And so we were kind of wondering like, is this happening? Is this really happening it felt really surreal and then one day it was a sunday we would go the office had a great gym as you would expect from crossfit hq you know we could work out anytime if we wanted to take a break we went in on a sunday to work out as a group we had a you know a workout group for the weekend and we're sitting there and i don't know why call it maybe call it gut feeling call it intuition i don't know why i just i, I like got up after we we're done working out and we're all kind of sitting around talking i'm like I feel like I got to just got to go clean up, clean up my office. And they're like, what? I'm like, I'm going to go take some stuff home, just clean up my office. I don't know. I, I just feel like I got to get some stuff out of there. Like something feels wrong. So I went out and like packed up like probably 50%, maybe two thirds of my office. And as I'm walking down with a big box of stuff, everybody's looking at their phones and their faces are white. And they're like, did you get the email? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, check your email. Set. I go put the box in my car. I, I, I did get the email and it was an email a calendar invite from HR for a 15 minute meeting that next morning, which you can kind of guess what that's all about. I immediately text my, my boss boss. So like the boss at the, at the head of our group who a week prior had told us that he would you know, maybe stand up for us and stick up for our team. And that if something were happening to us, then, then it meant everybody was gone and we were going to, we were all going to pivot together to keep this going. Cause what we had going was really good. And so I text him and I go, is this real? Like, is this what I think it is? No response, nothing. Next morning, show up to work. Our entire team gets laid off. And we're given different final days because our team was still working on CBS post shows. So we had to deliver a series of shows covering the game to CBS. And we got laid off based on whether or not, based on when our deadline was. Our HR person had come in a couple weeks prior and I didn't even think about it. She's like, oh, what are you working on right now? I was like, oh, you know, CBS shows, but I'm almost done. I'm doing all the behind, like helping produce all the behind the scenes stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'll be done in about a week. So I'll be excited to look forward to the next season. Little did I know that was her investigating when I was going to be done so I could get laid off. I got laid off that day along with a handful of other people. And basically our entire team just got dismantled. The team that we had been building for, you know, eight to nine years. That's wild. Uh, October 2018 when we, is when we all got laid off. I was laid off October 15th. And that was right as the transition to the new format for CrossFit was happening, both on the company side and for the sports side of it. There was going to be a complete overhaul to the season compared to what had happened the, basically the previous 10 years. And so I kind of went through a, a period of about a month to a month and a half where there was just a great deal of uncertainty. So the way a lot of my coworkers that I would have hoped to work with outside of CrossFit in the event of something like this happening, were still working for CrossFit and had a separate final day that I did. So a lot of them, including my current my business partner in the podcast, they, they, were, uh, they had to finish their job and was working through CrossFit through December 1st. So it was myself and a handful of other people that got laid off uh, on that exact day. So I had some time to kind of sit and think about what I wanted to do next, what my, my next move was. And it kind of coincided with, you know, it's some downtime uh, in the CrossFit calendar, holidays, stuff like that. And so I was, uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And after some thought, you know, I, I definitely, I was passionate about this space, about CrossFit, about the fitness space and what we were doing on that side with the media team, and how we were helping people. So 
uh, one of the things that I realized that I had always wanted to do for CrossFit, but every time I got turned down when I asked about it was starting a podcast. So I, I felt like it was just a natural medium for a medium for a lot of the discussions we were having and talking with my now business partner and co-host of the show, Sean Woodland. It was an easy way to get back in the mix media wise, putting out content that was accessible, but also allowed us to do it at a certain quality level that we felt was acceptable. So we didn't want to jump from something, you know, two months, uh, two months prior, we, you know, we were live on CBS to just doing something that was, you know, kind of half-baked and it wasn't quite the quality that people were expecting from us or used to from us. So we wanted to make sure that whatever we did, we were able to do it well. And the podcast made a lot of sense early on with. And I, I want to interrupt you before we get into the podcast too. Like, yeah, you know, getting laid off uh, a lot of that's happened to a lot of people with coronavirus, like uh, just records, right? What advice would you give to someone who, who might've gotten laid off from a job they you know, they really enjoyed. So I, I, I definitely start by identifying and so say you're in a career field that you want to be in, identifying the elements of what it is about that career field that makes it something you want to stick with. So that was important for me. So the, the kind of broader concepts of what I was doing and what I was accomplishing with my media and the content we were creating, understanding what it is about that that made it worthwhile for me and made it fulfilling for me and made me want to keep doing it was important first because I think for a lot of people, there might be an instinct to, you get laid off, you just got to jump to the next thing right away, whether it's in my career field, whether it's not, you know, and I, and I totally get some people, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, their, their budget's tight and they got to make sure that they make ends meet. And that's totally okay. But in terms of like the bigger goal of like what I want to get to and where I'm at, I, I think identifying those, those concepts is, is really important because what it allowed me to do was once I understood those and those, it was crystal clear on that, I was able to realize that I wasn't necessarily tied to an exact medium in terms of delivery. So I understood I wanted to make media for CrossFit in this space because the media that I was able to make and whatever insight and analysis and what I brought to the table, the feedback was overwhelming that it helped people and improved their quality of life in some way, shape or form, even if it was just a blip and that they thoroughly enjoyed what we did and it helped them in their fitness journey. And so understanding that that first, then realizing, allowed me to realize there is a million ways to provide content now that accomplishes that exact goal. So it disattached me from this. I have to be on TV. I have to be on a broadcast. I have to be on you know video. I have to be a host. I have to be an analyst. I do all this stuff. Um, and it allowed me to see a little bit wider scope of what was available to me at the time. And ultimately that led me to the podcast. And so it, it was more of just like a, a half step back, understanding the fundamental concepts for, of what was driving me and what motivated me. And then figuring out that there's multiple paths to that same end um, and kind of disattaching my ego from that a little bit. I think that was important. And I'd be lying if I said a big help and that wasn't immediately afterwards. Uh, Justin LaFranco from the Morning Chalk Up, which is a major, major publication in the CrossFit space, reached out to me immediately and was like, hey, we want you to write articles. I like what you bring to the table. We want you part of the team as a writer. So it'll keep you involved. We'll pay you this for per story. Just something to keep, keep going, right? And uh, that was an immediate vote of confidence in me that outside of just my, my value to people wasn't tied to me being a part of H CrossFit HQ. So, which is, a, which is a big deal, right? Because we tend to associate with some of the organizations that we do. It's like in the sports realm and in the media, the news personality realm, that can be a big deal, right? Like your network and your brand isn't your identity. And so now it was, it was okay, there's, there's something for me outside of CrossFit HQ and that people value my work enough to where I can keep doing that. So that was a big piece in that same concept identification and kind of understanding the essence of what I wanted to do. So the, that was an element of it. Also, it was a great way to keep you know the knife edge sharp as far as being an analyst and and dissecting sport and the, being involved in the community. But then uh, you know the podcast was also something that I, once I kind of unpacked things a little bit, it was just like yeah, man, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I think we have something to bring to the table in that regard. And as far as what we were looking to do, there was there wasn't really much of an occupier in the space uh, as far as a podcast in that regard. So 
it's, st- it's still like no like in that space it's pretty much just you guys and i think that's also a token to how well you guys have done it but i wanted to ask too so you you make that jump from you know like you're saying live on cbs to now writing and podcasting and i feel like typically nowadays what we see from at least like from people with david and i are close with is it kind of goes the opposite so what were what were the challenges that you faced in like switching up those medias i would say the challenge was definitely early on especially early on when you're trying to build something been a lot of time watering soil before a plant comes up and that is really really difficult because we live in a world of instant gratification right everything is at our fingertips anything we want information access to things buying power is all you know in, in five seconds we can swipe up and you know face id ourselves and we, we have it we have it ready to go and so it's very t- difficult to take a longer term approach to building something new i think uh, especially even in the business world, the startup mentality is such a like, go, 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 go Ac- startup acquisition, you know, bounce to the next thing. And like the length of time that people dedicate to professions and jobs is getting shorter and shorter. So it, that was definitely a tough thing at first. It was like, okay, I got to be patient. I'm, I'm writing a couple store, a couple, a couple stories a week, maybe, you know, less than 10 a month. There's not a lot for me to do at this moment, but I need to work on these crafts and understand that they're not going to necessarily bear, bear fruit right away. This podcast, we're not going to have a huge following right away, the, at least the following that we, we're used to. People understand that we are who we are and we have that name and brand recognition built from CrossFit, but it's also just an entirely new endeavor. So people at the same time, and this is the difficult part, people were so disenfranchised with all the changes and the firing and everything like that attaching yourself to CrossFit got a little sticky at times. So people understood we were CrossFit Games and CrossFit Podcast, but that it was weird. They also hated how we were treated. Uh, it was kind of like a catch-22 for us, right? Like we wanted to stay in the space, but the space didn't treat us well. So people were hesitant to get on it, even though they were doing it on behalf of us. It was kind of this weird, really weird situation at first. But we were able to like, you know, get out there and mix it up. I took some, took some chances and going to events and places that I didn't really know what would the end result was going to be. And, you know, I'm very grateful that I have some good friends and good people around me that encourage me to take chances and things like that. And uh, Marston Sawyers and Heber Cannon, the buttery bros, they make all the documentaries in the CrossFit space. They were right in that same boat. They were trying to build a vlog. They were trying to figure out how they're going to continue to make movies and do high production stuff. And we were found ourselves, you know, going from, like we said, you know, front of the line, you know, top type stuff to the three of us splitting a hotel room in Dubai where we pushed the beds together and slept three across in a mega bed because, you know, like budget wise, that's what we had to figure out. And we're like, we're finding ways to get to and from places and maxing out credit cards and stuff like that. And that, that was all very difficult. But again, it goes back to the concept identification. I understood that like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm passionate about. And I understand that there's something there. I'm going to keep watering and keep refining, keep working. And then slowly, but sure, you know, surely things started to sprout up and we got some opportunities. We got a couple of sponsors that were interested. And once people realized that like, Hey, we're not going anywhere, we're going to be here for the long term, then they feel more comfortable and in investing in us and what we do. And it's, it's kind of the whole like stability of market things, right? Like a volatile market people are afraid to invest in and that, that was, was, it, really was there a particular guest that like maybe like had an influx and, and changed things or was it, was it like a, a steady climb? Cause I, I, at least like peeling back the curtain a little bit, like for Dave yeah. and I, when we, there are the guests who, and for us, it's just, if they, if they really promote the episode, like it does, it does a lot better. And like, then that sustains over time that ends up plateauing. Yeah. You know, there was a couple, I think early on one episode, I think really helped us. So we started the podcast in January of 2019. It was the week before Wadapalooza 2019 started in Miami. And we did an episode called about the state of the CrossFit games and then, and what had happened to us because a bunch of people were asking and why we weren't working there anymore. And we kind of like spilled the tea a little bit. And then two months later in March, when the CrossFit Games Open was going, the finale to that competition section, I got to do the live uh, color commentary for Matt Fraser, who's the current and greatest of all time, like men's champion, who's won five straight. 
we had him on the guest because I was in Miami working that event. He joined the podcast and he was very open and honest on that episode. And I think um, he talked about some things that I didn't know about with him and he shared some new personal details and things like that. And I thought that was a big, a big launching point to like athletes don't just want to talk to us because of us working for HQ. That was like, okay, we had the biggest names in the sport will still talk to us because we can provide something of value to them from a media's perspective. And that even may be a stretch, but at least that's what we felt like at the time. And then the other episode was also, there was another round of layoffs that happened that also laid off a ton of big name individuals. And we had an inside line to that. We had direct insight into that. So shortly after we had our episode where we talked about every, about how we got laid off, a co- you know, a couple months later, more layoffs happen and, you know, voila, we have a direct look behind the curtain of how that takes place. So people were able to a come to us for reliable information and have a better understanding and look behind the curtain for something that was so confusing for them because at the time CrossFit HQ didn't do a great job of communications because they were kind of under a, um, you know, a no talk order for across the company. And, and then we are, we're also able to get the biggest star in the sport to come talk to us. And so those were two really big, important elements to, that really helped kind of push us forward. Sure. And you talked about like CrossFit athletes, identifying it as a media opportunity. And I think CrossFit athletes in particular, at least from what I've seen are very, uh, brand building comes pretty natural. And mm-hmm. it's tough to find a whole lot of differentiation, but each like high level games type athlete sees the value in it. Where do you think that comes from? And like, I, I guess one, do you think I'm correct with that? First off, I don't even want to assume that, but two, where do you think that comes from if it is? I, I think, you know, I think early on there were some growing pains. I think in like 2011, 12, 13, around the time where we first signed a, a TV deal with ESPN, the first three years of the big Reebok deal, uh, and the sport was really going through a professionalization kind of period. I think there wasn't that natural element to it. Athletes like Rich Froning, Annie Thor's daughter really paved the way in that regard and and being able to build those personal brands because they were the faces of the sport at the time. And I think they were the kind of trailblazers. And I think by the time 2014, 2015 rolled around when Matt Fraser started to step in, when Sarah Sigmund's daughter, Catherine David's daughter, Tia, Tia Claire Toomey, all these big names in the sport now, uh, it was their time to kind of shine. There was already a little bit of an ecosystem built around the fact that a CrossFit athlete is something that companies can invest in and bank on from a broader perspective, whether it's, you know, it's CrossFit specific, you know, like supplements or, or some, you know, a massage gun or something like that, or it's an apparel company like Nike stepping in and being like, Hey, there's value for our, tra- our training department to focus on these CrossFit specific athletes. I think there was a, a very short, but important foundational step laid by some of the early, early, like stars of the sport that has set the table for all of them. And I, and honestly, it's kind of like, you know how like Instagram and certain elements of technology come secondhand to us, but our parents can't figure it out for the life of them. I think it's just being raised in that element. So now that one of the primary movers and platforms is social media, you have athletes that are 25, 26, 27 that have never lived without social media. So they naturally understand the platforms and the mechanisms that, that will, that will drive their business as a personal brand. And and so like right now, like, you know, you're an on-camera analyst, host, producer, journalist, your podcast host as well. Like you're juggling like a, a lot of different things. Like how, how do you go about like organizing your time, but, but also like, you know, saying yes or saying no to different opportunities? I'm not typically great with time management. That is not a natural thing for me. I'm a people forward person. I like talking to people and like doing all these things. And I, I work off of what I would call event time. It's a well-known kind of structural thing in like latin america like latin america works off of event event time versus clock time it's like oh we'll see you later or like oh i'll I'll see you at dinner time and there's no like set time for that it's just kind of a range and it's like that time of day and you kind of work off of feel and so i think that maybe some of my friends will joke that i have my own version of time they'll call it tommy time and you know I, i i run on some different time structures as well sometimes but one of the things that's really helpful for me is uh there's a book by the 
called the perfect day formula. And to me, although I haven't adopted everything across the board, watered down the concept is like structurally build out your perfect day. What does it look like? And then use that structure to basically build out a daily structure for you that will help you live the closest thing to your perfect day every single day, right? Like, and treat that structure as gospel. And ultimately that structure will provide freedom to do the other thing. So there's elements of that is like, hey, I might, and my fiance has been phenomenal with this because she has a set nine to five, goes into the office, she's a physical therapist. So she has a hard, a hard set structure of waking up at a, the same time every day, each morning, you know, making sure these, there's certain, I guess, like uh, pillars in my day that are ultimately unmovable that I have to do, that I anchor my days around. And ultimately that allows me, knowing that those are there, it gives me the freedom to work in between them. And I think that's been huge for me. So, I, you know, we have set days for recording for the podcast. We have set elements each week that we do for the podcast that are set in stone. Um, even th I'm thankful, you know, for writing for the Morning Chalk Up, we have set editorial phone calls every week. So there's certain things that I can build my week around. And then that gives me the freedom to kind of flow in between and, you know, make sure I always train every day and do some elements of that. And that has really been a big driver for me because structure is not something I necessarily gravitate to, but it has been a huge benefit for me in terms of like managing the workload of things like that. Because if I can look at, if I just wrote down everything I had to do in a week and I see it all on paper, I'd have a small panic attack and like an anxiety attack. But if I look at that and I'm like, oh, that fits here that fits here on the chessboard, this fits here, then it's like, oh, okay, there's a place for everything. And now I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not taking it off in these huge bites one at a time. Makes a lot of sense. So when you're thinking about the future, Tommy, and I guess the, it's, it's kind of intertwined with CrossFit. So for our listeners who don't know, CrossFit came under new uh, ownership uh, over this last summer. Uh, there's going to be a lot of changes to CrossFit in terms of it as a sport. And then also in terms of, you know, affiliate gym ownerships, which you could definitely speak to better. But when you're thinking about the future of CrossFit and intertwined with what you, what your goals are, what does that look like right now? You know, it's uh, <laughs> to me, it looks like a lot of opportunity. Right. And I think a lot of t opportunity for all I actually wrote an article about this more specifically on sp the sports side of things of how, CrossFit is going to be inclusive to more athletes, but I think that is so much more the case now across the board to brands and things like that, because I think CrossFit HQ as, as a company, whether they wanted to admit it to or in the past or not, they were ultimately the big driver and the final say in a lot of how the ecosystem ebbs and flowed. Under the previous regime, there was a little bit of a laissez-faire type attitude and just kind of letting things happen. And it did create a lot of opportunity early on. But I think the next evolution now that there has been a foundation of opportunity created to start, athletes become bigger primetime superstars in the, in the sport realm. Promoting CrossFit affiliates as you know the, the front lines against you know obesity and chronic disease in a way that isn't just letting like the affiliates fend for themselves, but giving them the freedom to run their business how they want while also still providing some support. I think all of those little professional elements, because ultimately those things help the bottom line for CrossFit. And I think we've, I think we have, and to quote uh, the new owner, Eric Rosa, who said in an interview with us two weeks ago, he said that for a long time base to, to paraphrase running CrossFit, like a business uh, and run and like, kind of like running it, like, you know, like a family and like a community have almost been mutually exclusive. And I think there's a way to run it like a business to make it profitable and make it successful while all keeping that community and that element and that soul to it. And I think that's, that's going to be the, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge because there's going to be some pushback, but I think that's a huge element of what's going to drive everything going forward because there's no reason why, and I've seen the numbers, the broadcast numbers and the popularity of the sport, there's no reason why CrossFit can't be the, the world's largest participatory sport in the world because it was close back before all the changes happened. Why it can't have season round coverage on CBS, the biggest you know, broadcast network in, in the world. And there's a reason, there shouldn't be a reason why all of the game's athletes can't just focus on being an athlete and, be, and making sure that is going to be a livelihood that's going to support them. And as a result, that pours people into affiliates and affiliates as a business model is going to be something that people can retire on. And I think that's important because if you look at the value that's provided in making people healthy, that's 
that's what the future is going to be all about. If you're going to provide something as valuable as making people healthy, like that should be something that's stable and reliable enough that um, can support you and make you healthy in return. That's, that's an unreal answer. And I think that's, I don't know, that's exciting. Uh, I have one last question mm-hmm. and it's really just, uh, we had Carrie Pierce on the podcast yeah. and I don't think it was as appreciated as it should be. Can you tell people how amazing of an athlete Carrie Pierce really is? <laughs> oh my gosh. So, <laughs> and that, that's, what's crazy, right? Because I think and without, and I think that's another evolution of the sport, right? Is the broader community, the broader world and community understanding the implications of the performances that happen, right? Someone sees LeBron James go up and just yam on somebody. And you're like, that's amazing. Most people can't do that. You see, you know, Patrick Mahomes throw a 60 yard seed to somebody and you're like, that's amazing. Most people can't do that. <laughs> it's almost hard to impart, but like the things that like, if you look what Carrie Pierce did, like in the final event of this last games in Atlanta, at Atlanta, she, I mean, she, in less than an hour in less than 45 minutes, pretty much she ran two miles. She did a hundred handstand pushups. Imagine just kicking up into your hands and doing a handstand pushup. She had 300 weighted pull-ups like, most people haven't done 300 pull-ups or will ever do 300 pull-ups in their lifetime. And she did it in one workout with an extra 20% body weight added on. Like all these things like don't mean a lot to a lot of people, but as, as far as like pure fitness level, like these CrossFit athletes, those 10 athletes you watch on the CrossFit games, if you go and Google it, are probably some of the fittest individuals in history by the purest definition of fitness. Matt Fraser, Tia Claire Toomey, fittest individuals in history. And I'm not like... That sounds like a bold claim, but when you talk about the scientific method of, of defining fitness and then quantifying it through te- uh, like of tests repeatedly over time, like the two fittest people in history, like I don't care what SI, Sports Illustrated says or ESPN, like they don't, they straight up don't know how to define fitness. Carrie Pierce is one of the five fittest women on in the planet. Any sport, any time. Any test of fitness you throw at it over time, she's going to step up and be one of the top five women. And this year she was one of the top three. So it's like you take any athlete, you want to, you go through the women's sports of the, you know, the greats, you go to like Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi in basketball, you go any of the U.S. women's soccer team, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, you take all those popular athletes, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, you know, and you put them in a test of fitness against these girls, she will smoke um, they won't even be close. They wouldn't last it to day, to day two. That's how fit she is. And that's how much credit they deserve. And, um, and that's not to say anything against this, those other amazing athletes that have become the best in their pursuit. Um, it's just, that's just what the reality is for these fitness athletes. And soon, I hope the world can fully understand that. Well, Tyler, I know, I know we're coming up against our time limit here. We're, uh, we're sh- really shitty at ending these. So yeah. uh, we do the quick question round. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if we can do it. Fire it yeah, 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 yeah. Number one, person you'd most want to sit down to dinner with? My grandma. Favorite city in the world. Ooh, outside of my home, my hometown, I would probably say Barcelona. Is it okay to sleep with socks on? Only if, if you have poor circulation. Favorite romantic comedy? Love Actually. Best spot to eat in the Bay Area? Uh, the Point Market. Best breakfast burrito in the world. Santa Cruz, California. There we go. Best, best Northern California athlete ever. As, as much as I hate to say it, probably Tom Brady or Barry Bonds. One thing people don't understand about creating content is blank. Uh, the rule of three, cheap, fast, good. You can only pick two. What's the worst advice you've ever been given? Just put your head down and don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> in one sentence, how would you sum up the internet? A double-edged sword. Five-time fittest man in the world. Matt Frazier's one flaw is... <laughs> That's tough. Can't dunk a basketball. <laughs> Your favorite Avenger? Ooh, Thor. 100%. Go to quarantine snack. Cereal. Cheerios or Oat Crunch cereal. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Who's somebody you think should hop on this podcast? My business partner, Sean Woodland. And Roy McKernan, too. Great people. And last one. In 2030, you can catch Tommy Marquez blank. On every medium possible in the world there you go love it ladies and gentlemen tommy marquez tommy uh tell the people where they can follow you if they want to keep up with the journey you can catch me on my podcast at talking elite fitness that's on instagram um, talking elite fitness.com it's our website keeps up to date with everything 
at Tommy Marquez on social media, which is my personal account. Um, and then hopefully you can catch uh, any of the CrossFit action that goes on next season. And hopefully it'll be part of the broadcast and stuff like that. So awesome. That's awesome. Tommy, can't thank you enough, man. We appreciate it. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.